Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which includes the annuals, and I'm going to say they count, and I'm going to feel more certain about it because Mark was talking to me about annuals, including them in his collection and financial history of his collection, and made a specific point to include the annuals so that I knew it, and I feel victorious. Well, Dan, this is mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and you just stepped on my joke because I, too, own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count, even though I just inputted my entire run of them in the uh, CLZ app as just kind of this uh, archiving app uh, for comic book nerds like us, Dan. You want to know what's interesting about the annuals, though, Dan? You got to input them in as a separate series because they're not part of the main series, Amazing Spider-Man. It's a completely secondary series. You want to know what's even stranger about it that spidey super special from 1995 the planet of the symbiotes that's even another series of the of the, of the comic book that's not even an annual it's listed as something it's a one shot but hey i own them and they don't count well i'm going to counter that by saying you you know what else is a separate series but it's technically part of the legacy numbering of amazing spider-man what's that dan Renew Your Vows and Superior Spider-Man. Right. And I own all of those. Do you you own all of those, of course, right? I I I, I do. I I I'll I do. But uh, you know, I think I think that kind of casts some doubt on your claims about the annuals uh being a separate series, if you will. Are the annuals part of the legacy numbering though? I think not, but whatever. We let's let us continue, Dan, with this wonderful debate. Even Jonah Jameson in our inauguration special it came on the side of you, but I will one day be vindicated. And I'll have you know I did not write that line into jo- Jonah's mouth that time. Oh, I I, I, um, I I have no doubt that you didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, uh, the debate rages uh, anew. Uh, welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk Mark, what are we going to be talking about on today's show? Well, Dan, we are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 59, Legacy Numbered 860, because that is part of the legacy numbering uh, of this series, of course. This issue was written by Nick Spencer, with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, inks by Wayne Foucher, colors by Maury Hollowell and Andrew Crossley, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. The cover was by the great Mark Bagley, John Dell, and Nathan Fairbairn. This issue was first released on February 10th, 2021. What's new? 
where do you want to start with this? I mean, like the 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 wild and crazy journey of Martin Lee slash Mr. Negative really came to a head, I guess, in this one, right? I mean, what a what a what an arc. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like this comic okay, but I think your criticism is kind of apt. I mean, for all of the I would say very small, not buzz, but but even action around this character in the previous arc where he, or I guess like two arcs ago now, uh, he, or he had his uh, persona split. It, we spent less than a page really setting that up and having that play out. And now within like an issue of him returning, that status quo was just reset back to where it was. And did we need to go through this whole journey? I mean... I think it was okay and and kind of a somewhat interesting journey, but like, yeah, there's not a lot of meat there. It, it's it's kind of like, well, let me just kind of reintroduce to you the concept of who I am uh, before resetting it back to normal. All kidding aside, I mean, there was nothing like offensively bad about this comic, I don't think, but like, you know, I, it, 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 it kind of speaks to the larger issue that, you know, me specifically, and I think you to an extent, Dan, has been having with this creative run uh, over the last couple of years, which is just that, you know, it seems like the the idea of forward momentum and progress, you know, it's just kind of going at its own pace. Decisions that are made bear no consequence until they do again. And even then the consequence doesn't kind of feel like it meets the moment of what the original decision was. And it just is what it is at this point. And and we have to move on with it. But like I said, I mean, in terms of the context of, you know, this isolated issue, this was, this was a fine issue. There was nothing that made me go, oh God, what are they doing? But yeah, I mean, the arc of, of Mr. Negative, was, you know, blink and you missed it. And, you know, I got to be honest, this was a character that, frankly, I have been kind of losing interest in anyway. So, uh, you know, I think they kind of missed an opportunity to do something new here. But we, we, we're we back where we started. <laughs> Mark, you mean you weren't thrilled to see him continue selling sh- the drug Shade in Shanghai with Cloak and Dagger hunting him down, which was his previous status quo from the end of the slot run. I, I you, actually, I, mean, be I forgot me, about that. You don't I even for, remember that happened. I, well, I, now that you mentioned it, I remember it happening, but no, like I wasn't like sitting there, like analyzing the pieces on the chessboard here being like, wait a second. How could he be doing this now when he wasn't, when he was selling shade in Shanghai a few issues, you know, a, you know, what, what amounted to a few weeks ago in, in comic book time here, Mr. Negative, I think was when he was first introduced as part of the, the brand new day run. I mean, I think he was certainly, I, I would, I would say that he was the highlight in terms of the new villains that was introduced during a brand new day. Do you share that in that assessment? I mean, I know the, the, the menace stuff was fun too, but like, I think Mr. Negative was, was probably the best addition to the rogues gallery during that era. I I think a bigger deal was made of menace, but ultimately having menace be kind of like another goblin. I think the concept of Mr. Negative, like being truly new, even though he ended up being like associated with cloak and dagger and their origins, I I would consider him like kind of like the, the best, like, wholly original new villain from from that era. The general persona, I mean, even though he's got these kind of supernatural-esque powers, I mean, the fact is it's 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 a you know, I, I like the street level villainy 
associated with Spider-Man. I think it's 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 most at home. And and you know, I, I thought it was like a, a new wrinkle to that element, you know, where, you know, the 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 same hero that's had rogues such as the Cry Master and Hammerhead and the Magia and Silvermane and you know to add Mister Negative to that list, I think it, it was it was an inspired choice. But I I do think as kind of time went on, creators, I mean mostly Dan Slott, frankly, kind of lost the thread with him a little bit. Again, like I I was kind of getting interested to see, okay, what are we what are we going to get with this character now that he's truly separated out from his negative persona. We're not going to get that. So we're, 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 I mean, you know, not to jump ahead, but we're setting up to another gang war style of, of storytelling. And we'll get to that. We're not even getting the status quo of Mr. Negative when he, we last left him in the slot run, which was that Martin Lee and Mr. Negative had teamed up to become one persona. So, like, it's not the first nor the last, like, immediate retcon for the status quo of this character. So let's get into some of the the more specifics of this comic here. I, I'm admitting how the sausage is made here. I'm looking at our notes. Do you have any comments on the on the the Bagley cover here, Dan? What do you think of Mister Negative holding a katana to Spider Man's neck? It's fine. I think it's kind of boring. It's kind of a flat cover. I mean, at least it depicts something that actually happens in in the book. Some of the like some of the interior art is stronger and more evocative than that cover and. I think that's something you really don't want with a cover, right? You know, you, you want something that's really going to stand out. And to me, this was kind of like, yeah, it it, it it shows what's in the book, but just kind of boring. To I don't know if I'm being overly critical on it. I agree, although I actually disagree with your comments on the interior art. The interior art to me seemed a little rushed and sloppy in spots for me. But we can, we can get into that if you want to have a larger discussion, but... The cover is fine. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, if you're not, if Bagley is not going to do the interior art and you're going to get him to do just the cover, I kind of want a, a something a little more dynamic than this. And we didn't get it. So that's where we're at. Why don't we talk a little bit more about some plot beats here? We want to start with some Norman, Norman, Liz, Normie, Har- and uh, well, it's not Harry, Kindred, whatever we want to call him. We want to, we, we want to get into some of that fun stuff here. This story is an interesting one to cover because it does the kind of standard Nick Spencer thing where you've got like three stories cross-cutting between each other with like Spider-Man narrative over it. So you've got like Martin Lee and Aunt May hiding in the crawl spaces of a feast as he unveils his regrets to her. And then you've got Norman kind of like begging Liz to to let him show her what's become of Harry. Basically like pouring his heart out, like, you know, wrench, wrenching at her door. And he does the kind of shtick that we're getting used to him where he's like, I'm not asking for your forgiveness or anything like that. I just want to like help my son. And I mean, for me, at least I found it very unsettling to see Norman crying. Like, it's funny because I read it and I was like, oh, is this, is this Harry I'm looking at? just kind of glancing over the page because that's kind of what I'm used to Harry doing is crying and, and stuff like that. So it was weird to see like Norman kind of like uh, unshackled like this. And um, well, I get unshackled. It's not the right word because he normally is unshackled. I don't know. I mean, I think we're truly seeing like a really different guy here. Uh, I think I'm glad we're exploring this kind of like, I mean, it might as well be a different character, but it's, it, that still remains interesting to me. I was actually just kind of thinking, and maybe this is the wrong way to be approaching it. Part of me is thinking, like, if they 
if they undo this kind of with a wave of a hand, it's going to be really disappointing because I think like there there is a lot of potential for some interesting storytelling here that they're they're already frankly meeting right now in terms of that potential, but. I want to see this continue, and I, I I just hope that this isn't some kind of elaborate trick or a hoax. Because, like to me, it'll feel very cheap and un and unearned if that's the case versus what we're actually seeing here. And yet, at the same time, you can't help but think it is an elaborate hoax. Like every time he's talking to them, I'm thinking, how is he manipulating these people for his own purposes? You know, which is fair. Like we, we, I mean, to Nick Spencer's credit, he totally tricked us in the final, uh, you know, issues of uh, Last Remains, where like we we were ready to ding him for immediately undoing the status quo shift, and then it was just Norman pretending to have reverted back to his goblin form. So, like, to to his credit, he tricked us with this, and you know, we're still on our toes, even though we might you know, have already been proven that we shouldn't be. But again, it's Norman Osborn. So, you know, you got to be prepared for anything. I, I did like the rendering of of Liz seeing Kindred slash Harry. I know I, I kind of took a swing at the art a few minutes ago, but I thought that was very powerfully, powerfully done. Evoked a lot of emotion from me seeing Liz just kind of losing it the way she did without any, I mean, you know, the words on the page were Peter's narration, which I know you kind of have issue with when Spencer does this trick, right? The Peter, the omnipotent narrator. It just feels like a weird writing trick and not something natural to how Peter has ever talked in these comics before. It's just a very weird, like he's talking about prayer and getting down on his knees while he's like fighting you know, demons and stuff. And it's like, I get it how these two things relate, but it it's so high minded. I don't know. I just, it doesn't read like Peter to me. And it, it reads more just like a guy, like doing a neat writer trick to tie his scenes together. And it's like, I'd, I'd rather the voices sound authentic than you be kind of like clever and, and creative with your, your writing. It takes me out of, the comic every time I read Peter talking like this. I know we keep revisiting this, but like, d- does it do the same for you when when you read writing like this? It does. I mean, which was part of the, part of the reason why I uh, when I after I read that scene initially, I actually just went back and and kind of looked at it from a visual standpoint, and I felt the weight of it a bit. I, I felt it cheapened the weight of the moment of the visual moment of it, frankly, because I do think this was one of Ferreira's strongest parts uh, of the issue is kind of capturing Liz, uh, you know, but yes, I, I, I know what you're saying. And I, I, I share that assessment. I, I just, I didn't want to have my feelings on the artistic expression of, of Liz and Harry be lost in, in all that. Like, I do think that was well done from a visual standpoint. Yeah. And I, I love how it's left silent. Like there's no like sob, on the page, you know, yeah, it's, it's evocative just on its own. And that does take restraint from the writer to kind of let that stuff play out. But I wish it was, there's even more restraint. Felt like Basema and, and, you know, JMD at the end of 200, except, I mean, obviously that's one of the greatest single issues of comics ever, but you know what I mean? Like it was like, well done without having to say much. 
So like, yeah, Liz breaks down when she sees Harry and it's it's evocative, even as silly as it is that he's in like this weird costume inside of a floating cube. But fine. <laughs> comics. Yeah. You, you know, right. Um, right. Right. We forgive yeah, that. And I, I think like, you know, Ferreira draws a really like, you know, his I think his in costume stuff is also strong, like seeing his Spider-Man fight these demons and these kind of vertical slashes of panels. I think one of the things I like about his artwork, if we're going to kind of get into it here, and I think this opening is a good demonstration of it is it, it the the panels never feel crowded. Like you can very clearly make out the direct actions of what's going on. I mean, for as much as we like Ramos, like I often feel like that's something that he struggles with is kind of overcrowding his panels to the point that it makes it hard to like understand the choreography of the action. And I never felt that here. I think he's a really good at laying out the kind of flow of action and making sure that the panels are direct and to exactly what he needs to show while still kind of, you know, filling them with detail and emotion. You know, I think this opening action sequence for my, all of my kind of like problems with the cleverness of the writing, I think the art is like you said, uh, uh, this is the standout s- section. Why don't we just get to it? Because we're frankly in in the part where you know around the part where I I kind of struggle with Ferrera. Um, I mean, I I honestly just kind of, I felt like some of his sequencing with like May and Martin, in, you know, in the crawl space, uh, it just looked like a little rushed and overly cartoony for me. Especially some of the ways May was rendered. Like it, I don't know, like. Granted, May May has kind of visually evolved over the years, but you know, and she's not this frail old woman anymore. But the same token, like if you go back and look at some of those panels, like I was just like, I I, I don't even know what the visual reference for May was. Like I was just like, I know that's May because I saw her a few pages earlier, and and you know, it was consistent. But like, it just didn't it didn't look like Aunt May to me. It was just kind of like, all right. I, I don't know what he was exactly going for with that. I mean, you know, and there was like one where May is kind of screaming in terror and it kind of looks like the scream painting, except like, you know, I don't think it really was an homage of that. I think it was just sl- kind of a little sloppy and May just looks really like face melty and old. <laughs> so I, don't know. I I agree with you on, on those panels in particular. I think those are the weaker ones. There's a one I think you're referring to where like a katana is slicing through the ground into the crawl space. And I remember I had to read it multiple times because I was like, wait, who who is this? I mean, it's clearly it's May and and, and Martin, but not clearly enough. Right, right. Um, I mean, we know who so. it is because we know, but like it's just it, it just seems like, you know, because you're right. There's other parts that are stand out to me. I mean, like that was my that section was my 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 issue. And then, I mean, again, not to jump ahead, but like I, I wasn't enamored with the reveal at the end with you know kind of the rogues of of and we can get to that section when we talk about it but like i i just didn't think that reveal was was well rendered either let's talk a little bit more about martin lee's transformation here the demons take hold of aunt may in this scene and you know peter is kind of ready to chalk another one up to his, to his, uh, you know, like I've lost another one. (laughs) (laughs) He seems, he seems pretty down. Martin Lee basically sacrifices himself to the sins of Mr. Negative and, and, you know, he transforms back into Mr. Negative. So, you know, like I said, the, the, the redemption of Martin Lee lasted 
all but a couple of issues, but we're, we're, we're back to where we started there. But the, the, the transformation was, was pretty cool. Yeah, it is quick that Martin Lee uh, returns to becoming Mr. Negative, sacrificing himself to save Aunt May. I was waiting for a, a lookout to occur here, but uh, at right. last we didn't get one. In terms of art, which we've been talking about, I, I really thought that the sequence where Martin Lee is turned back into Mr. Negative was really strong, where he goes outside in silhouette and you see this demon rushing towards him and... He, you see the transformation off panel of everybody reacting and then it's his back and then a half page splash reveal. I thought that was really dramatic. I was just thinking, Dan, have we seen a lookout since Last Remains began? I don't think so. No. Yeah. Talk about a, a motif or a trope or whatever you want to call it that is like completely ceased over the last few months. That's interesting. Anyway, so no, I agree about the transformation. It, it definitely looked looks pretty cool it was well 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 revealed there you know in the same kind of rough shot of you know in terms of you know elegance of of martin lee's transformation from a narrative standpoint then the, the kingpin just shows up and it's kind of like all right we got it from here i gotta tell you like and i know where this is all going and i have thoughts on that too but like you know like like kingpin's intrusion in this i don't want to say this arc because it's now two or three arcs removed from last remains. But like, I don't know, like I I get that Spencer has plans for the Kingpin and, uh, but I don't know. I I just, his presence is irritating me to some end, to no end in this comic for some reason. I don't quite, you know, I don't can't put my finger on it, but I, I I just, I, I, I could do without the Kingpin. I don't know. What do you think? Well, not only does he have plans for the Kingpin, he's got a giant sized Spider-Man coming, coming out. With the Kingpin, which just announced this week that we're getting the conclusion to this Kingpin story. I believe after Amazing Spider-Man 66, they're releasing a a giant-sized Kingpin book to conclude this story because it couldn't be finished in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. And I don't know, I'm not going to cast judgment on that yet. It seems kind of silly. I, I don't know. Maybe they have something really special uh, uh, for us going on in, in that issue. It just seems weird that like they put out these, you know, big books that sell for ten dollars and and they call it Amazing Spider-Man. But now we're getting like a one shot giant sizer to finish it. That's not part of the normal Amazing Spider-Man numbering. I guess they got to sell these like every six months or whatever. They got to sell us a ten dollar book. So they got to find a good way to do it and justify it under the banner of something. Kingpin is certainly has the potential to be an interesting villain here, but like, you know, at the end of the day, it's worth noting that the last time we, we were trying to tell this story, the, the world fell into a pandemic. So, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe the world is trying to tell Nick Spencer something here with his Kingpin uh, <laughs> and his tablet. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Bad form. I don't know. <laughs> I think the thing about the Kingpin thing, at least in this issue, is it just kind of like whisks everybody out of the primary action of the book. That's kind of I mean, I get like you said, I get why it happens. But like you really felt you were caught up in in the drama of that moment. It it feels like it was resolved by someone other than Spider-Man. It just sucks all the agency out of the entire story. (laughs) It's just like, and I'm here. Okay, move right along, everybody. It's the mayor. Which, you know, is yet another plot point that 
this bothers the hell out of me, but we're, we're still in it. And that's not, I know that's, that goes beyond Nick Spencer. I can't pin that on him, but you know, I, I, I understand why Marvel was elevating the Kingpin, but you know, maybe, maybe this story will be the thing that takes him down a peg again. Cause I kind of like Kingpin back in the shadows, frankly, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I, I do in that regard, like that there is some kind of retconning in this issue that suggests that like the Kingpin has been shutting down capes and stuff as all of a part of a plan to facilitate what he's doing in this book to move forward, which is the resurrection of his wife. And so I do think that there's kind of like a, it's operating grand on a grander scale than the book has done the work to do, but I'm kind of okay with that. So I at least thought that was kind of clever that you could maybe pin all of his mayoral desires on moving this kind of Vanessa plot forward. I think you have some theorizing about some things that are said when when Peter shows up at the at feasts, kind of you know after the fact, <laughs> in, in 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 a very old school Peter like fashion. But what why, why, don't, why don't you take it away, Dan? Because I think I caught you when you you brought this up, and I caught it when I read it the first time. But I, I'm I'm this is this is your ball to dunk here. So why don't you go for it? Well, I just want to address what you just said first, which I think is really true. I like this scene overall, the kind of old school Peter Parkerness of it, you know, coming in, he's got blood on his arm and May sniffs it out. And there's that kind of, you know, healthy balance between Peter and Spider-Man, which I felt like the last issue did a good job of. And, you know, for my money, I would tell Nick Spencer, like, you know, this this is a better pattern to be in than what we had been getting. I like that Aunt May has her own problems that Peter feels responsible for. And I like that they have like a tender moment and she even gets to kind of like lecture him too about like, well, we have to trust other people because what else do we have? And that to me feels like a classic, even like Dicko era Aunt May kind of thing to do to like give Peter a good old fashioned speech about like the values of, of like trusting and caring for other people. And and to me, beyond any of my theorizing, like I liked this scene for these moments, because this is kind of why I read Spider-Man comics. It's as old school Stan Lee, Ditko slash Romita as it gets like this, this scene right here until it becomes uh very not old school <laughs> in, terms of, <laughs> in terms of the mythology. It starts to kind of touch upon. So Take it away. Okay. Well, so I'll take it away then. So this is just wild theorizing. And let me just say, I've realized that I'm this guy on the show, you know, like, (laughs) don't get me wrong. I like being this guy on the show. I mean, obviously I like to wildly theorize and I know that my track record is not exactly a hundred percent. So in no way am I putting this out there saying I know something, but usual caveats apply. But I thought I would put it out there that to follow up on a, on a suggestion that I had made, you know, a couple issues ago where there was this reveal of this extra body in the morgue and, oh, who could it be? You know, and I think you and I had discussed the possibility of, you know, there's the obvious you know elephant in the room of it being Harry Osborne. And I kind of mentioned, well, what if it's Aunt May? And part of the whole like kind of undoing of one more day with Peter and MJ getting back together, you know, we'd start to have ripple effects that showcase the other things that were undone in one more day. And we saw some of that in the LR issues where we went into kind of like the 
whatever the Peter's Mindscape thing that was populated with uh, the Kingpin and the Assassin and a zombie Aunt May. So like, how does Aunt May fit into all this? If, you know, if, if Peter can get back with MJ and there's no repercussions for Aunt May, I just refuse to accept that books like this operate in that way, right? Like there's going to be repercussions for, for this. And I don't think that we're crazy to suspect that one more day is a part of all this because beyond the overt, obvious references to it and an issue that was literally a page for page recreation of it. Right. But then, um, so, Dan, okay. You're burying the lead. What does she say? Dan? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. So aunt may says here in this scene, you know, all this is happening to her. She says, am I doing something to attract all this destruction and violence? Am I somehow responsible for all this? And, you know, within the scene that we're reading, you know, you're meant to be to be like the typical thing, which is that Peter is really responsible for bringing all of this into Aunt May's life. And he can't help but feel responsible for it, which is the thing that Kindred has been kind of hitting him on and on about, which is like, you know, all these people are innocent and you keep bringing all this into their lives. And one of these days they're going to get killed, just like Aunt May had done previously where she died or nearly died at the hands of Kingpin's assassin. So is this, you know, violence, is there something more cosmic than just Peter's influence in her life that is drawing her closer and closer towards death, be it the cancer, be it Mr. Negative, be it whatever. I wonder if there's something a little bit more going on here. Do we want to get to the second part of this that involves the tablets and stuff? Or do you want to put a pin in this and get to that in a second. Let's pin that and come back to it. I do. I just, I, I, what I do want to say to you is, you know, yes, Dan, you are that guy, but like this, this, this bit of dialogue, this, this, am I doing something to attract this felt even on the first read for me, very, very intentional. And like, yes, my, my brain, even without the context of what you were talking about from the mindscape and what's to come in, a few pages with the tablet, it, it, to me, my mind instantly went to, oh, that's right. You know, we've been thinking so much about one more day vis-a-vis Harry and all this and where Kindred's rage is coming from. But I mean, May and her life was an even more critical part of that deal. I mean, it was the part, it was the deal. It was right, May's right, life right. or your marriage. And Harry's reappearance was kind of a, a, a another consequence that we never fully understood. I think you're onto something. I mean, whether it manifests the way you're, you're about to speculate when we talk about the tablet in a few minutes, we'll see. But there, there's something going on here. And I took that line of text to be very intentional. But let's talk. Let's let's divert from that for a minute and talk a little bit about, you know, grandfather with his grandson talking about the beach. Right. Just two normal people sitting sitting on, on the balcony uh, talk, talking about their relationship. Now, I mean, this is Norman and Normie. An interesting scene because Norman is obviously this new guy and, you know, nobody's buying it, even if it's true. And, and Normie, poor Normie, who's been so abused by you know, everybody in his life who's duplicitous from his father to Peter Parker, who he, I, I assume, still knows is Spider-Man. 
even though we never saw it on the page. I'll remind everybody. And his grandfather, who he knows is is twisted. So, you know, this kid is, you know, is gearing up for some real problems. And, and Norman addresses it directly. And he's like, you know, we want better for you. Like, I know you don't trust anybody. And and, and it's kind of the opposite. He really doesn't want the Osborne legacy for Normie. He's like, you know, you have an opportunity to do something better than all the flawed adults in your life. And he shows him this picture of Harry when he was Normie's age and suggests that like, you know, that was at Coney Island. I'll take you there if you just come in inside with your mother and I. And, you know, again, it's the thing where you're like, well, it's Norman. You can't trust him, but he does seem genuinely nice. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, well, what's going on at Coney Island? <laughs> you know, like what could possibly could be be there? And then it got me thinking back to issue 850, where there was some kind of like plan that Norman had previously set up to be enacted within the water system un- underneath the city. And I don't know if he's like quietly still moving forward on this plan, even though his brain has been fixed. I don't know. Like, you know, forgive me if I'm if I dis- am disbelieving about Coney Island being totally innocent. You know, this this certainly this this might be more of you being that guy than I think the uh the Aunt May stuff was of Dan. I don't know. Like I I, I kinda I read this completely differently. I, I read this more innocently, kind of just I, I, I think to me the tragedy of this scene is the fact that like what should be this normal reaction, you know, normal conversation or dialogue between uh, a, a grandfather and his grandchild is is so twisted and 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 damaged based on the history with all these characters and not and the history between the father and his own son for it to actually be innocent in a in a pure way because it's not it's 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 all it's all manufactured and make believe I mean like you know Norman Short took Harry to Coney Island as a child, but like, you know, I'm sure those visits were miserable for Harry and he was abused, you know, (laughs) emotionally throughout it. So uh, that's, that was kind of my read of it. I didn't see it as some kind of manipulation or machinations behind the scenes from Norman. I just kind of saw the, saw it more as being sorrowful because like you can't take it on the face value, but not, not because Norman, you know, not because Norman is not truly fixed and he's still doing evil stuff. It's just because the, the, the inherent evilness of the character and the history keeps it from ever being pure, you know, like that's all, that's my read of it. Yeah. And I think that's the right read of it. I just can't help but be dubious about Norman Osborn. There you go. But here you go. Now, now you get to, I mean, now a you be- get to be beautifully written scene. Yeah. Very, very, very lovely. And, and, and like I say, kind of, you know, sorrowful in its own right, too. I mean, beautiful, but sorrowful because you know what's what's really happening with these characters. You could be that guy yet again. So let's talk a little bit more about Kingpin's uh, reveal to Mr. Negative involving the tablet of death and entropy. If you remember, uh, this is the the tablet that Mr. Negative had overdrive steal all the way back in that free comic book day. Amazing Spider-Man swing shift. This thing was then used to create the Devil's Breath, which was uh, Mr. Negative's way of taking out the Magia at the start of Brand New Day. And it was kind of a reoccurring element throughout Brand New Day um, that we haven't really seen much of. And honestly, I had kind of forgotten about until it showed back up here. 
we get Mr. Negative uh, reveals. So he's got a hold of this thing and reveals to Kingpin that um, if you get the two tablets together, it allows for a resurrection, but only once he makes very clear to suggest. So, right, that would be, you know, Kingpin restoring Vanessa. So then the Kingpin says, you know, I, you know, I've, I've tried to get the lifeline tablet. It's been too much of a headache. So why don't you go get it? Which we can talk about the reveal on that final page. I have to admit uh, uh, this stuff doesn't interest me a ton just because I felt like how like poorly the lifeline tablet story was wrapped up in the last one. Cause I was like in the whole time reading the scene, I'm like, well, does Kingpin have it or doesn't he have it? Like then who does have it? Is it with Boomerang? I don't remember. I don't remember what the uh, what the resolution of that was. <laughs> I I think it must be with Boomerang. Like that must be the suggestion here is that they're going to go and and try to wrestle it away from Boomerang and Spider Man and whoever currently has it. But yeah, I I, I don't know that we actually got a resolution because that book shifted so hard towards the Gog of things, who has turned out to be so important <laughs> going forward. <laughs> Hey man, he was almost the final issue of Amazing Spider-Man, so there's that. Yeah, but okay. So, so, so you want to hear my? So what are you thinking? What are you thinking? All right, I mean, because okay, obviously, Kingpin, he's going to get these two tablets and and bring back Vanessa. Dan, what what else are we talking about here? What what, what could possibly else be happening here? Yeah, I mean, I very much think Kingpin's going to get a hold of these tablets, and that will be threatened that Vanessa will return. I just don't see like this story ending with the, I guess it's a Spider-Man story. So ending with the villain happy is kind of something that this book might do. But I, I think, and again, this is based on nothing, but like with my brain very squarely in the camp of there's an extra dead body and all of this, you know, danger is coming towards Aunt May. I think that this extra dead body is an opportunity for a resurrection and if it is Aunt May, this is how you get to kind of like have your cake and eat it too, which is you get to kill Aunt May off because Peter got back together again with Mary Jane and undid one more day. But then you get to bring Aunt May back by using these tablets and ipso facto one more day is undone and Aunt May doesn't have to die as a part of it. And you've kind of like wriggled your way out of this wrinkle you know, or you have Spider-Man give you the ultimate sacrifice and he allows Kingpin to bring back his wife and heal over this era of strife and pain brought on by all these gang wars to reunite Kingpin with his wife and end his crusade. But it cost Peter his aunt. But only after he struggled endlessly, amazing Spider-Man 33 style, chasing after this this MacGuffin that could bring her back. That's a lot of speculation. I, I do think there's a reason for why Mr. Negative suggests you can only use the resurrection once. And I think it's going to be tied to whatever that extra corpse is that is in uh, or was in Carly Cooper's possession. I mean, we, we shall see. I mean, it did just occur to me because I was like thinking back. So how many, how many, resurrections slash near deaths has it been for may and and then it dawned on me that next year we're going to be having the 60th anniversary of spider-man so i mean maybe that's going to be the big the big 60th we're going to have to draw this out for another year and a half but that's going to be the big reveal i bet (laughs) (laughs) well you heard it here first when i'm terribly wrong and 
you prove all of my wildless, endless speculations not even worth doing. It's what's on my mind. So there I got it out. So, of course, then, you know, in order to to get the the Lifeline tablet back, you know, Mr. Negative was told by Kingpin he has competition. And that kind of led to this last page reveal, which was like all of these uh, street level crime bosses. I don't know. Like to me, like, you know, the 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 art was a little funky on this, like like obviously like. Hammerhead and Tombstone and Madam Mask and stuff were pretty recognizable. But then, like, I don't know, there was like some some guy in the back that I didn't really understand. And it took me a few looks to be like, oh, that's the owl. Uh, it didn't really look like the owl to me initially. I don't know. Like, it, it just and like, you know, they're kind of just all like sit, sitting around and huddled around each other. Like, it was very to me, this was a pretty visually dull reveal and I think like, you know, I don't know, like the story, the, the story it's leading to, I'm not necessarily overly excited about. I mean, it's just so we're just going to have a bunch of uh, it's going to be another gang war. I mean, so whoop de doo <laughs> <laughs> Well, bringing back classic stories from like the 90s, you know, that's what we're doing. Right. Here. Well, um, I mean, I, we had well, we had Spiral a few years ago by Jerry Conway, which I thought was really great but it's like you know like how many times are we going to do this concept you know like you know all the crime bosses are fighting for something i i mean like this feels even more repetitive than a goblin story to me i like anytime we we deal with crime bosses here i have no idea who that guy in the back of this is he's just like lurking in the shadows i i'm sure i'm supposed to know in terms of the art i guess i wasn't as bothered by it as you were i i kind of liked it uh, honestly i think the characters are individually expressive, but they're not really doing much with each other, which is kind of how I would, you know, push the artist to improve it is like have them interacting in some kind of interesting way, whether they're like playing a game of cards or they're all like gunning for each other in some way because they're going to be competitive with each other. They're just like hanging out in a closet waiting to be activated. But it's kind of your classic lineup reveal at the end of a comic which is an old trope, you know, if you will. Right, but um, but 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 you just set you just hit the nail on the head, Dan. It's like they were like, what, so like, what were they just sitting in a closet in that position, waiting for the door to open? I mean, it's I I mean, yes, I get it. It's it's a cliched kind of reveal, but also it's a cliche. I, like let's like let's do something more interesting here, and and like let's also, I don't know, make some of these characters that have be a little more visually defined i i I mean like obviously like hammerhead and tombstone are are easy to pick out right away but it's like you know like there are some things you could have done with you know the owl or even like silvermane's disembodied head that could have been a little more fun (laughs) i I just want to know what like what threat silvermane you know presents with just his head well like shouldn't the shocker be there like i mean the shocker well right he he possesses the head, doesn't he? Yeah, he's the head of the Magia, which will never be uh, acknowledged uh, ever again. I just want to know who the crime master is, because, you know, we had that whole story with the crime master, like, not too long ago where, you know, he was killed off and, you know, or, or revealed to be somebody's brother or whatever. I think it whatever. was Betty, it was... Uh... Betty Brandt's brother again, the one that Doc Ock had killed off, right? Uh, or am I misremembering right. that? 
Yeah, he was he was brought back and then killed off again. So I don't know. Maybe there was something I missed in Clone Conspiracy or whatever. I mean, that's that's the book I really ought to reread one of these days. Is just so I can like make a list of like how that ended up and how all these villains came back. Because I don't remember the status quo shifting quite to the degree that some of the flexibility that these writers have taken with bringing villains back. But okay, there is a a big question mark in my mind for who the crime master is. And maybe that's what it should be. We never were meant to know who the crime master is and we never really truly will know who the crime master is. There you go. There you go. All right, Dan, what's, what's your grade for this? I'm giving this one a a B minus. I thought this was like a totally fine issue of amazing Spider-Man. It moved some plots forward. It had, you know, I liked the art, I think a little more than you did. You know, I like the balance between the Peter and Spider-Man stuff. It's not going to rock anyone's world, but, you know, issues like this are kind of the bread and butter of of Spider-Man comics to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with all that. I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm a notch below you. I'm giving this a C plus. I mean, like you said, like some of the art, I really dinged it for me, even despite some of the stronger um, art scenes in there as well. And again, like I, I'm just dis- I'm disappointed in the arc of Mr. Negative here. Like I, I, I know we're, we're moving on and it is what it is. But, it, it you know, like I feel like that was that was kind of a wasted, a wasted story in terms of what was happening with, with that character. So C plus for me, but yeah, overall this was, this was fine. There was nothing, nothing in this issue that made me want to like, you know, scream, scream off, off the rooftops anywhere. So that's, that's always good. <laughs> it just feels like wasted potential. Like the Ned Leeds thing. Like we went through all this work to get Ned Leeds back from the dead and only to have him unceremoniously killed and buried and like, well, forget that, yeah. you know, um, wah, wah. <laughs> you know <laughs> this story is not over yet. So I, th- I, I think there's, you know, a, a possibility that like the kind of like moral sacrifice of Martin Lee could go somewhere. At least like I'm hopeful for that as the story concludes, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how it all comes to an end and, Obviously, we'll be there when that happens. So uh, you'll hear our opinions on that one of these days. There you go, Dan. I, I, I like the way you think. All right. Well, let's let's bring it on home, Mr. Dan, sir, because it is that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coase with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs, as always, were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released, back in February 10th. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence with these reviews... So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark, until we're all able to go on a trip to Coney Island with our good buddy Norman Osborne, what's our motto? Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a tr- I haven't gone to Coney Island in years, Dan. Anyway, and you I used to live ride in the cyclone. I know. I, oh, I haven't r- ridden the cyclone since before my son was born. Anyway, that motto, of course, is with great podcasts and must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next in-